Our scripture reading this evening comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13, where the scripture says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Well, as many of you know, I am the campus pastor over at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and it's wonderful to get to open God's Word again with you tonight. This week was a bit unusual for my family because our nine-month-old daughter, Lucy, wound up having to get very minor surgery over at Children's Hospital. She's had chronic ear infections since about February. And she was finally able to go and have the surgery, and everything looks great, so praise God. And, you know, being in the hospital and, of course, working at UAB, I'm, I'm, I'm around hospitals a lot. And it's interesting because the hospital is one of the primary metaphors to describe God's salvation for us. There's a couple others. There's the courtroom. Um, God's rescue operation can be described like a courtroom where Jesus is found guilty in order that we might be found innocent. Or another big picture for salvation is the living room, where it's not just that we're declared not guilty, but God brings us into his family, into the living room, and adopts us as his children. But the primary picture I want you to see tonight from our passage is that of the hospital, that because we are spiritually sick, that God has come to rescue us and to heal us from that sickness. And the medicine that he wants to give to us is prayer. Here contained in the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at tonight. A lot of people call it means of grace, which is like a spiritual medicine that God gives us in Jesus Christ. And so, what I want you to see is what Christ is saying in this very last line of the Lord's Prayer. We've kind of been ticking through it week after week. The very last line where it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And God's promise is that if we will go and ask Him, He will rescue us from evil and from temptation. And there's three evils that I want you to see that He's going to rescue us from. The evil of the world and the flesh and the devil. The world and the flesh and the devil. Um, the way that Christ describes the world is not so much with a picture of optimism or with great hope because of the great capabilities contained in the world. But Christ comes and all of a sudden the world seems to be full of things like demons and there are sick people and people possessed and there are these corrupt um, people in authority who are trying to persecute Christ. 
when Christ comes, God reveals how corrupt the world really is. And I think we tend to think of evil in terms of a lack of something that's keeping us from being free. Sort of like um, the lack of access to education. We might say here in Birmingham, that's evil and we need to stamp it out. Or the lack of access to health care. We can look at as a culture and say, look, that is evil. It is wrong that people do not have access to health care. However, we can, um, you know, we might disagree on how to fix the problem, but we can agree that it's wrong. Um, the same might be true of, you know, personal fulfillment in relationships. But there's stuff out there that's just evil. And you see this exemplified in the ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is experiencing affliction and the ruined nature of this world as he is mocked, headed to the crucifixion. In Matthew 28 it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put on it, on his head, They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and they put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. In the Lord's Prayer, as we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are acknowledging the evils in this world that cause us to cry and to be sad. Sickness and sin everywhere it's found. What God wants us to see is that we, we can go to Him and pray to Him, deliver us from this evil because I have promised to rescue you from it. And there's three ways that God promises to rescue us from the evil of the world. And the first is that he simply takes away that particular evil. You can think about the evil of um, racism that existed in Birmingham um, at such a systemic level, you know, from up through the 1960s. And the kind of progress that was made very quickly, didn't eradicate it, of course, but very... um, Visible progress was made towards eradicating that evil very quickly. And we can all praise God that he took it away. Or, um, you know, consider the example that I used in the beginning of our daughter who's had these ear infections month after month after month. And we prayed and we prayed and we got on our knees and asked God to take it away. And I think that he has. And so we pray for people to be healed. And we pray for justice to be done where there's injustice. But... Um, One pastor put it this way, that God does prevent the occurrence of evil, but not very often. God does prevent the occurrence of evil in this life, but not very often. And what he means by that is that my wife and I prayed for weeks for the ear infections of my daughter to be taken away, and I think that he did. But over the last couple of weeks, our daughter has developed the worst diaper rash that I have ever seen. Um, in, the, in the time that we've had children, almost three years, she just has this painful, awful diaper rash. One evil taken away, another is present again. And so, 
while we, we cry out for God to remove these injustices and evils, we have to be patient. We have to be patient before the second coming of Jesus. And the, the second way that God delivers us and rescues us from evil is that he comforts us amidst evil. And the scripture says in Psalm ninety four nineteen, When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And more often than not, this is the way that God rescues us from evil. Is that amidst all the crosses that we have to bear, He promises us that this is the way of salvation. And I love you. You're on the path of salvation. You're my disciple. Keep going. Hang in there. I love you. My son suffered for the salvation of the world. And you will have to suffer now that you have been brought into God's plan to save the whole world. And more often than not, when we pray, deliver us from evil, O Lord, that's what we're praying for. That he might comfort us amidst the evils that we must experience. But finally, he rescues us from the evils that we experience by rewarding us for enduring them. There's, a, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I love to backpack, and we used to go... Uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and there was a time when we were on a three-day trip, and we had stocked a cabin at the end full of, you know, steaks and drinks and just, you know, desserts and everything that we possibly wanted. And those miles, step after step after step, the worse my feet hurt and my back hurt, I knew that it was going to be worth it because we were headed somewhere that was glorious. And as we pray, deliver us from evil, God wants to remind us that there is a reward for those who will endure. There is a reward for those who will patiently bear injustice and suffering in this world. Sin and sickness. And so those are the the three ways, the main ways that God delivers us from the evils in this world out there. And So moving on from the world, the next is the idea of the flesh. And that's really what God is getting at when he says, lead us not into temptation. It's not just evil out there in the world, but scripture teaches that it's deeper than that. It has to do with this thing called temptation. When we think about temptation, I think we tend to think about that chocolate bar that's in the grocery store and you walk through the aisle and think... I'm not the kind of person that does that. I'm not going to buy that. Actually, I'll have two. <laughs> or another example would be, I was ta- we have a lot of Muslim students at UAB. I was talking to one last week, and he was sharing with me the benefits of fasting during the Muslim fasting time of Ramadan. And he was explaining to me how he'd experienced that fasting during Ramadan as a Muslim had really helped him to develop the virtue of patience. The idea of delayed gratification. And so, temptation is an experience that everybody uh, experiences, regardless of whether or not you're a Christian. But the world tends to think of it in a very superficial way. That there are these bad habits that I've got, like smoking, or I I need to diet. And if if I do enough, I really can overcome those things. I've got the capability within myself to overcome that evil. That's how we're going to define evil. 
But the problem is that Jesus comes along here in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says things like, everyone, um, sorry, that's not the one I'm looking for. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That what you do with your mind is far more important than what you're doing externally. That while you might be able to break these bad habits that we might think of as wrong or evil, Jesus' expectation for you as a human being are so much higher, and he modeled this in his own life. He laid down his life for others. He gave up his own rights. Everything that he was owed, he just gave it all up because of his love for his heavenly father and because of his love for the world. You know, he did things like um, completely give up all the comforts of marriage when he might have had them. He gave up so much and sacrificed so much and modeled and lived out what it means to be truly human in such a way that I can say, if that's the standard that I'm supposed to meet, I don't have anything in me to meet that standard. I can break these bad habits, but I am not going to get there. And in fact, not only am I incapable of doing it within myself, but myself is actually my own enemy. And Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. In uh, chapter 5, verse 21, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. He repeats the same thing in chapter 18. And he's saying, look, you were so sunk in sin. Humanity is so wonderful and beautiful and impossible for you as you are. That your very eyes and your hands should be considered enemies. You're not going to make it. Because you're your own worst enemy. The evil's not just out there in the world, but it's in me and it's in you. The flesh is what the Bible calls that. Our desires that have been all messed up. That even though I can say, look, I know that it's wrong to um, lose my temper. Objectively... You don't even have to be a Christian to agree with that statement. Over things that you should not, we should not lose our temper. Does that help me to not lose my temper? Nope, not at all. We're um, our own worst enemy. And the evil is not just out there, but it's in here. And this is where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in as God's promise to his children. That though your desires have been corrupted... I have invited you into my spiritual hospital to heal you and to fill you with my spirit that you might become more and more human, more and more what I made you to be. Um, try and reflect maybe on the first crush that you ever had long, long, long time ago. And um, how did you get over that crush? Well, you, you fell in love with someone new. And the same is true of our corrupt desires. That when the Father pours His Holy Spirit out into our hearts, He looks at you and says, You are in my Son, and I love you. The Scripture says that God is love. And the only way that we can overcome these corrupt desires is to be transformed by the love of God in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. So that... Turning away from evil and doing good actually tastes good to me. 
it, it begins to taste like chocolate cake. Um, my two-and-a-half-year-old, he loves to run around the backyard and eat dirt. And I say to him, stop eating the dirt, it's yucky, and just puts another handful in his mouth. The same is true of us with sin, that we just prefer it. Even if we know that it's wrong, we just prefer it. But the power of the Holy Spirit is that God will change our spiritual taste buds so that we actually like the taste of good things. That faithfulness and standing up for the truth and fearing God instead of fearing man, it just simply tastes better to us. And as we pray, deliver us from evil, we are praying that God might help us to love what is good. As we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are praying that God, instead of um, allowing us just to simply be led right into sin, that we might instead be led by the love of God. Because that's how transforming the love of God really is. The scripture says in John four thirty four that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus considered it his very food to do the will of God. Even as he hung on the cross in pain and suffering more so than we'll ever know, it tasted good to him to obey his heavenly Father. And that's what God promises to give us. And, I mean, we have to be realistic about this. This is not promising that just like that you're going to get over your sin because you've prayed, lead me not into temptation. Christians will sin until we pass away or until Jesus comes back. Uh, You know, spirit-filled Christians are Christians that need the blood of Jesus no less. This is what the scripture says about the experience of a Christian. I do not understand my own actions. For I do what I do not want to do. I do the very thing that I hate. So I find to be a law that when I, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me. And so as we pray for God to lead us not into temptation, we mustn't be discouraged by falling, we mustn't be discouraged by tripping up, we mustn't be discouraged by not becoming perfect or as obedient as we want to be. But again and again, we must get up and ask to be filled with His Spirit that He might lead us in the way of love. You can remember King David in Psalm 51. He's not just committed adultery um, externally. or Sorry, I have that backwards. He's not just committed adultery in his mind, but he has committed adultery externally. Not just murder in his mind, but he has committed actual murder. Might as well have been with his bare hands, even though he had someone else to do it. But King David, rather than being sunk in despair... He didn't sit in his room depressed week after week, month after month. He, with great humility, went to the throne of grace. And he prayed, Heavenly Father, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he knew that this was what God had promised, to lead him not into temptation. 
So God delivers us from the evils of the world and from the flesh. And finally, the devil. Um, We tend to think of evil, again, in a very generic, general sort of way. But when God reveals his salvation to the world, he also reveals the true nature of evil. And you see this most pointedly in Matthew chapter 4 with the temptation of Jesus. Where Jesus isn't fighting against a psychological neurosis of some kind. Jesus isn't fighting against the Roman governors or the Pharisees or the scribes. Jesus isn't fighting against anything with flesh or with blood. But the Son of God comes to do battle with our great spiritual enemy, the devil, in Matthew chapter 4. You see this in the parable of the sower as well, where the farmer sows the seed and the bird comes and picks it up. And the scripture says that this is the work of Satan, the evil one. Not just evil generically, but as a personal spiritual being. Many modern uh, academic theologians, much, much, much smarter than I am, actually say that a more accurate translation of the Lord's Prayer is deliver us from the evil one. And... One pastor summarizes the scriptures teaching about the strategy of the evil one this way. He's got three of them, domination, accusation, and confrontation. In Ephesians chapter 2, very beginning of the chapter, the scripture says something like this. You were born in transgressions and sins, and you were a slave of the prince of the power of the air. Naturally. Um, I can try and dress up nice for you here on a Sunday night. But the scripture says about me and about all humanity is that naturally we are slaves under the dominion of Satan because of sin. But the good news about Jesus is that he has come to break the dominion of Satan. And that unlike Judas Iscariot, who can be filled with the spirit of Satan under his dominion, that if you're in the kingdom of God and have been adopted into the family of God, you cannot be possessed by any demon or Satan himself. You are no longer under the domination of Satan. And so when we pray, deliver us from evil, we are praying. If you're a Christian, you're not praying for yourself to be delivered from that dominion because you've already been delivered from it. But you look around... um, the city of Birmingham, you look around the place where you work, your neighborhood, and you pray, deliver my neighbors who don't, ne- who don't yet know you because they are under the dominion of Satan. And Jesus promises to answer that prayer. There are so many um, hopes and expectations that I have in this life that God simply has not promised to give me or you. But he has promised to deliver people from the dominion of Satan. He says it right here in the Lord's Prayer. Satan's second strategy is accusation. And you might remember in the New Testament, Satan is sometimes called the accuser. And this is primarily how he attacks Christians and not just people in general in the world. He goes about accusing us after we have committed some sin that we know to be wrong. He accuses us that we might lose hope and give up. Um, He might say something like this. You know you shouldn't have lost your temper. Why did you do that? You've done that a thousand times. 
You are so guilty. I don't even know why you call yourself a Christian. You should just give up. There's, there's really no hope for you at all. The revelation of the gospel is a revelation of the strategy of Satan himself that he goes about accusing Christians, convincing them to give up hope. But of course, this is where the great image of the courtroom comes in, that I can say to Satan, you are right, guilty as charged. But the great mystery of the cross is that him who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so on the cross, Jesus himself was pronounced guilty, that I might go free. And so that yet I still sin and stumble and fall, in God's eyes, I'm his beloved son. And so when we pray, deliver us from evil, we're praying, deliver me from this accuser that wants to keep me down in this pit of despair over my sins. And lift me out of it, Lord Jesus, that I might once again be filled with joy over the fact that you forgive sinners and you love sinners. And that if I'm the kind of person that keeps on sinning, I'm the kind of person that Jesus died for. I'm his child and he loves me. But finally, the third strategy of Satan is that of confrontation. And you see this in the ways that Satan attacks his church. Paul's letters are full of the language of Satan being in battle against the church of God. Creating division and schism. um, Stirring up fleshly desires within the church. But the good news is really the very end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, where as part of the Great Commission, Jesus says this at the end of Matthew, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And therefore, all of Satan's confrontations against his church will ultimately fall. And as we pray, deliver us from evil, we are praying, Heavenly Father, would you deliver Red Mountain Church from the confrontations that Satan might try and bring against it? Against our pastor, against our elders, against our people? Because God has promised to answer that prayer, that he will indeed rescue us from Satan's confrontations with us. So I hope this evening you've been able to see these three evils that God promises us, excuse me, promises to deliver us from in this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The evil of the world, as he gives us patience to bear the evils that we experience, and as he comforts us and rewards us at the end. He promises to rescue us from the evil of the flesh by filling us with his spirit. And then finally, he promises to deliver us from the evil of the Satan himself, the evil one, by overcoming him, by answering his accusations with his own blood. And I'll just end with this, that you may be here tonight and you just don't feel very spiritual. And you feel like you've really got nothing to bring to the table and you're not really sure why you're here. This is what the scripture says. In Isaiah chapter 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, and eat 
what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. As we close tonight, I just um, would ask you to pray with me that God would enable us to delight in the rich food, especially the medicine, the spiritual medicine that He has provided for us in prayer, that He might give us the spiritual healing that we really long for. As humans, we long to be human, to be whole and complete. That's what He's promised to give us in the gift of prayer. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sunshine today. We thank you for even the air conditioning that keeps us out of the uncomfortable heat of the day. Heavenly Father, would you give us the, the medicine that our sick hearts need? We are weak and we are wounded and we are tired. We need your help. So would you help us to pray as you taught us to pray, that we might receive the blessing and the grace that you love to give out to your children whom you love. Amen.